goodness okay we're back we're back it's writing the rapids we took a very long hiatus because i got a new job and i moved and i'm still not done unpacking even though i've been in this house for like a month and i'm not going to bombard you with excuses i will only say that if we hope to be regular patreon.com slash wtr might be a good place to go and then I'll follow that up by apologizing for being so late and promising not to hold the show hostage. I truly just let my life get out of hand. I haven't done a lot of writing. I haven't done a lot of reading. So it stands to reason I probably haven't done a lot of podcasting either. However, we are back. This is the CV Hunt interview. It happened back in the fifth month of the year, whatever that is. She was very fun to talk to. I think we talked just as much outside of the recording as we did during the recording, which hopefully is good news for the conversation itself. I hope to get her back on the show very soon. I've been talking for almost a minute and a half, and I don't want to do that. Stick around for the after the conversation. She'll be reading chapter six from one of her books. It's very good. So without further ado, CV Hunt. All right. The first thing I, I kind of wanted to talk about is not your most recent book, but uh, Ritualistic Human Sacrifice, because I got that okay. one, and it's a uh, it's a book, man. It's a it, it's um the front of it. You said it's influenced by the writing of of Alice and Bentley Little. I've not ever yes. read Bentley Little, but I've, I read American Psycho. So the first third, at least, of the book, I totally got the American Psycho sort of that inner monologue, just like ugliness and yes. and everything. But I got it from that sort of like weird suburban uh, bent, which which was interesting for me to see. Yeah. It. What was the inspiration for the book? Um, actually... Um... I had uh, written a short story uh, for an anthology that was for, um, it was a Missouri ghost stories. And part of uh, what the, they had like limitations on what you could include into the story. They said no graphic sex, no, uh, you know, satanic themes and just like a bunch of things. So um, I wrote a ghost story and then, but like I had fun with the characters. Uh, They were much different than the characters that are in Ritualistic Human Sacrifice. Uh, it was the first time that I actually tried to sit down and write just like a, you know, straight horror story uh, without like super surreal elements and, uh, you know, being like uh, too jokey or anything like that. Mm. Uh, so I wrote this short story and I decided, you know, I, there were all these limitations when I did that. I'm going to go back and rewrite it and like flesh it out because I had fun writing it into a full fledged story and it just kind of went off the rails. <laughs> and I did everything that the uh, the anthology said that I couldn't do. <laughs> yeah, the and then and was, some. Yeah. <laughs> so, writing, do you have, do you get really self conscious when you write? 
something like that because i know that i do like whenever i have extreme violence or like even the least bit of sex in my writing i get like oh oh i don't know um i when i first started out writing i really did um like the very first thing that i ever wrote i handed to um my sister-in-law and she read it and then she kind of came back with feedback and she was she told me she said it you know, I liked it, but like, you know, the, like the graphic sex and stuff like that. Um, she's like, do you really want your book to be like on that, that shelf, you know, that not everybody's going to gravitate toward and has that extra, like, do you want it, you know, more mainstream or something? So it kind of, I kind of got self-conscious the first time that I did that and I cut all that stuff out. Um, and then slowly over time, I started reading um, just a bunch of random people, you know, like Freddie Snellis and Dennis Cooper and stuff like that. And I'm like, these guys are writing these, <laughs> these things yeah. and they're just, there's no limitations on it, you know? And it's just like, and these are, you know, like my idols and, you know, I look up to these people and they're doing well for themselves. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to let, I'm not going to let any limitations, you know, no limitations on that stuff anymore. So yeah, that, you know, I did transition from, uh, not wanting to put it in there too. Like, I, if it comes, it comes. I'm not gonna, whatever. Okay, I gotcha. You cut out a little bit there, but I, I, I get your point. Oh, um, it's, it's fine. Yeah. I think, uh, for some reason, I feel like 16 gigs of RAM is just not enough for this computer anymore. <laughs> it's like, it's like eight years old. I got it when I graduated high school, so I'm just. I'm yeah, my computer's much like that. I, I've had it for uh, about six years, and it's been acting a little strange lately. So, yeah. Um, are do you do you discovery write then, or do you? What's your outlining process like? Um, I generally will have an idea of what you know, like the plot, um, and then I everything I write is first person perspective. So I'll usually sit down with a piece of paper and just like, okay, and just very general things. It'll just be like, what's their name? How old are they? You know, what do they look like? Um, what's their occupation if they have one? Uh, just those things. And if there's any other, you know, characters, there's going to be a lot of interaction with, I kind of do the same thing for them. But as far as like outlining, I don't do any, any of that. I just sit down and start writing. Okay. So do you, what's your rewriting process like then? Is it pretty expensive? Um, usually things will grow quite a bit when I go into rewrites, just depending on its length when I'm done. Um, I will usually set it aside for a week and then go back and just start reading through it. Like I were to read it like a book. And I, if I find like gaps or things that I think that need to be included or, you know, typos and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I just start filling it, filling in the blanks and, uh, letting it grow. Um, it's, yeah, usually it goes fairly quickly. The rewrites usually a week or two and yeah, things can grow any, anywhere from like three to 10,000 words in the rewriting process. I gotcha. Well, that feels good to talk to somebody who has published work, who does stuff like how I do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. Not all of your stuff is in first person, though. Is that a conscious choice or is that something else? Um, I tried writing third person, but I think it was just so, I don't know, like disconnected for me. 
um, that it was easier to nearly only almost do it like an actor would do it, you know, like the method acting. Mm. Um, I mean, I mean, in my everyday life, I'm not acting like the characters that I'm <laughs> writing or anything, but to like sit down and like, just like theory of mind and kind of put yourself in that person's shoes and be like, what decisions would they be making in this situation? Okay. You know, like, yeah. And just kind of go with the flow from there. Okay. Um, so, so going back to your sort of writing process, so when you were writing ritualistic human sacrifice, there's, there's a point where, where the character gets into, the house and sees the extension and there's like the bad smell and and the black plastic bag did you sort of like how fleshed out what that was and what that meant how fleshed out was that for the rest of the piece um well yeah and that is always really weird too because um like i yeah the the original story was like a ghost story Mm -hmm. and it's not like i kind of went off the rails it was just like I just, it was the, the things like the weird things that you're like, something's just not quite right. And that's kind of like the whole momentum of the story. Once I realized I'm like, this is not a ghost story. This is, you know, something different and going back into rewriting process and, you know, and dealing with those elements. And it was, um, yeah, it, it was like Bentley little, I believe, um, I like his reading writing and he writes horror. um, it generally everything starts out very kind of banal and uh, calm and usual and just it starts these little bizarre moments start trickling in and they start getting like a little heavier and heavier and then by the end of his books it's just like full-fledged you know things just yeah it's almost like a locomotive just like stepping its way up so I mean yeah the it was trying to keep the reader involved and not completely losing them so there are those little things like leading up to, you know, through the first part. It's just like something's not quite right here, you know, and that's where those little pepperins would would come from. Okay, but that's very close to how I do it too. Or I'll, I'll mm-hmm. I had a writing professor who talked about like opening and closing doors. Oh yeah, and that's sort of the thing where we're all open a door and then just kind of forget about it for a while and then be like, oh god, that door. Yeah. Okay. This is where the door goes now. Um, also, so so you describe that book as extreme horror in a couple interviews I read. Is is extreme horror a, a thing with defined boundaries, or was that a way of couching the fact that it has lots of like sexual violence and abortion and weird, creepy, satanic sex cults? You know, I don't I don't know where exactly the line would be. Um, I mean, it's. You know, there, there is like, I, you know, and I'm not um, discounting it. Uh, it's just how I describe it. There's like your standard horror, which is, yeah, you know, when you go to a movie theater and you watch like a standard horror movie, there's the good guys and the bad guys and the good guys always prevail, you know, and uh, the bad guys are always defeated. And I think for me, like with extreme horror, it's like it's it goes a little bit further than what the reader might be comfortable with. You know, like your standard person who goes to, um, you know, a movie theater, watch a mainstream horror movie or something like that. They're, you know, they kind of they know that it's just like it's almost like that shock element. You know, I always um, refer the best way I ever describe it is like in the in the 90s 
they had like the shock jocks mm-hmm. who would kind of go, you know, it's like, oh, you don't say that. You don't say that on the, you know, like mainstream radio. That's that's a little too far, you know. And I, that's where I kind of think like, you know, most um, extreme horror writers are, are at that point. It's just like, that's not, you know, that's a little too far. Like, Okay. I, I understand that. I, I also like, just... Yeah, I I felt like oh I might have talked over you because he got out again, but um, <laughs> it was one of those things where I was reading it and I don't know if this is just how I consume media these days if I've trained myself to to do this, but as I was reading it, everything just sort of made sense. It's like oh yeah no, like of course you would need six hundred and sixty six aborted fetuses to make a demon or Satan like be born on Earth. That like that totally makes sense to me. Yeah, like I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to do is rationalize the fact that, that the book wasn't shocking to me at all which is not to say that I didn't enjoy the book I, I really really loved it um, mm-hmm. but like everything was just I don't know if it was the way you presented it or again if it's some sort of um, sociopathic tendency on my part to just to read it and be like oh, okay yeah in fact, that's an interesting thing I wanted to bring up to you is there was a lot of, especially in the first third of it before the supernatural really starts taking hold, where it almost felt like a test for the reader of like, here are the awful things this man is doing to his wife and thinking and and all of this. And I like noticed the things that felt satisfying to me versus mm-hmm. the things that felt outrageous and and really upset my sort of sensibilities as a moral or amoral human being mm-hmm. um yeah that there's not a question there <laughs> that's, no, that's no, just a, no yeah um actually uh i remember when i finished that book uh i handed it to the person who edits my stuff and um i said I think people are going to hate this and I don't think anybody's going to make it past the first third of the book, honestly. Um, and it is, yeah, I think you like hit it right on the head. It's like a weird test because I did create the, the, the main character to be, you know, and some people's eyes like yeah, a jerk, you know, and it is like, um, like almost like, you know, I, I think I told people it's like, you know, there's the the horror part of it, sure. You know, that's well-defined horror part of it. But also looking at, like, the horrors of marriage, relationships, you know, uh, being with a person who's not on the same page as you, that type of stuff. Um, so, yeah, it was, like, one of the and, – and, and, uh, and the line of, like, Bentley Little, too, I feel like a lot of his stuff is, is like that, too. It's just, like – um, okay, like I'm going to use uh, an example of one of his books that I just went back and reread because I used to say it was my favorite book of his, but then I read another one of his and I was like, oh, I think I actually like this one better. Hmm. So I went back and reread The Association and it's like three quarters of the book, there isn't a whole lot going on, you know, and uh, yeah, I felt the same way when I was reading that. It's like, it's almost like this is a test to see if I can really stay in it for the long haul and hope that it pays off in the end. And I think maybe I was kind of in that mindset when I was writing that too. It's just like, you know, can the readers even get over 
how jerky <laughs> the mm-hmm. uh, main character is to even get to the quote unquote good parts or whatever. Yeah. Well, and Eve is no angel herself. No. I mean, who does that? That's no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, um, but I mean, obviously, so like, that's the trigger for him to, to really open the floodgates for all of the other, like many annoyances that, yeah. that she does every day. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I, I like how, how the book opens up in, in the second and third parts. And I think I, I have a general, uh, predilection to that aesthetic of small town, uh, occultism. I don't, yeah, is yeah. there, is there a term for that? Or is it there is small town um, I occultism? I just is... always refer to it like small town horror because it always seems like when you have a certain story where it's like people going into a small town and everybody in the town is involved in something, I just always refer to it as like small town horror. But uh, yeah, I'm sure there's probably <laughs> some better way to describe that whole like, yeah, feeling of everybody is in on something that you don't know what's going on. Yeah, and oh man, just like the fact that that he gets saved by the transgender woman, it's like ah, of course, like that's yeah. how that's how it would happen. I, I think that's kind of what I was getting at, like what I was saying earlier, how everything's just sort of like presented in in such a matter of fact way that mm-hmm. it's it's sort of like anti Lovecraftian, how how Lovecraft and all that cosmic horror will be like. It's so unthinkably terrible that you can't even think about how unthinkably terrible it is and all of its unthinkableness. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's that's sort of where the horror comes in is like, it's so scary, I can't tell you how scary it is. Yeah. Um so you say that's your first horror story, but I was looking at the titles of some of your other books before that. Like what and and I've only read that and hold for release until the end of the world, so I I don't mm-hmm. have a huge uh, context for the scope of your writing, especially since you've published like eighty thousand novels. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so has there have you noticed a sort of arc in your themes or genres or voice or tone or whatever? Yeah, I am um, overall. Um, there is a very, uh, almost like cynical and sarcastic tone to a lot of the stuff that I write, not all of it, but a lot of it. Um, so it does fall into, you know, that, you know, if there were basically, you know, a dark or a light way to write something, it's definitely in the darker realm, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and yeah, it's like, um, I would say, yeah, maybe a lot of cynicism <laughs> is involved with uh, nearly everything that I write. But it's it's also done like, you know, I like to do kind of satirical to be able to stand, you know, all the situations to kind of stand back and be able to laugh at it or write the things that a thing. Uh, I get a lot of people saying it's a uh, you kind of write the things that people want to say, but never really say out loud type thing. Mm. OK. Um, I've noticed from the two books that I've read feels very misanthropic, especially yes. <laughs> hold for release. Yeah. Uh, and again, I, 
I think it's something maybe maybe it's something just in the books I I choose to read but that's sort of a thing where just the surreal is happening and everyone sort of accepts it yes yeah um yeah almost like it's just a part of the world it's not even there's something bizarre going on here it's just part of this world this is just happening and that's something that I really enjoy it's something that I try to do I remember when I started writing my my first novel as an adult um doing things sort of surreal or absurdist things and and not uh explaining them yes as as sort of an attack on the audience because and I've told this story before basically I was sick of writing workshop classes and decided that like ah I hate the idea of audience I hate readers if you're gonna read my book you're gonna you're gonna take it and don't ask questions just just consume it and so I feel like I've unwittingly placed myself into a subgenre that already existed and has like been existing mm-hmm. and 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 whatnot so that's I don't know that's fascinating to me especially because yeah. I'm not like I'm not a big community type of guy I don't mm-hmm. like go out looking for clubs so it's always interesting to sort of like be popped into something or or to discover something or someone and be like oh my god we are on the exact same wavelength yeah and and, and uh, um I'm the same way I don't I will in some stories um it's just I'm uh depends on how I feel about the story um for the most part I do not like to explain things I don't like to explain things away um I would prefer that the reader kind of take it and interpret it however they want you know um it's like well did that person die or did they live you know and it's just like well where do you want to take the story in your mind do you want to you know keep going with it however you want to do it you know uh but like yeah the the surreal elements too it's just like i just want you to take it and you know it can mean something metaphorical you know it 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 could not it's just however the reader wants to interpret it i kind of like it i like to leave it open to to the reader to interpret it how they want yeah i i I like that too so i've also been getting into uh media that is very audience intensive i've been getting Mm -hmm. into a lot of sort of these youtube web series where there's like binary code inserted into like hidden into the videos and everything's a mystery and you're trying to figure out what's happening and help the characters out as the videos are getting posted and whatnot and it's very on the very opposite end of the spectrum from how i was thinking about media even last year where it was like you know reading blake butler or any any of those types of people where it's like man he describes bodies as meat like she took it into her meat and it's just like okay well there you go it's meat (laughs) and so so lately my brain has been like clashing with these two ideas where it's like 
Okay, I just saw some static in this video that looks different from the static that has been in the previous videos for this series. So does that static mean something? What kind of static is that? And does the color scheme have something to do with something? Or is it happening in a sequence that's like Morse code or something? Um, clashing with the idea of like, ah, they just got a different plugin for, for video glitching on to the next one. Yeah. Do, um, where do you fall in terms of both consuming things and and producing writing? Um, well, I for the most part, I will like uh, like consuming media and stuff. I listen to like a lot of audiobooks at my day job. Um, but as far as like movies and things, I actually dig really deep trying to find uh, really uh, maybe obscure stuff that's like not something mainstream or like the way that it is filmed or its timeline is a little off or uh, yeah, it does have like a lot of surreal uh, bits about it. Um, like I don't like, I don't know, like like daytime TV, you know, I don't like dramas and things like that. I actually like something that's just like the movie is just so bizarre when you walk away from it. People are just like, I don't even know what the hell I just watched, mm -hmm. you know, and it's just like, uh, well, yeah, I mean, I guess you can think about it this way. I mean, I've watched movies with friends where it's like literally the credits roll and I'll have one perspective of, of what we just watched and somebody else in the room will be like, well, I didn't take it like that at all. I thought, I, I thought it was like this, mm -hmm. you know, like that's so like media, as far as like visual media, that's how I like to consume that. It's just like, yeah, picking things and, and it's not even like, um, like a pretentious thing where I want to be like, Oh, have you seen this movie? Oh, of course you've not, and nothing like that. Mm -hmm. It's just like, no, it's just like I see previews. I mean, I just went to, I uh, watched a movie today, you know, in a movie theater. And it's just like, yeah, I just watched the previews. And I'm like, none of this even looks remotely interesting. It's very paint by number story, you know. Uh, yeah, that one's a coming of age story. That one's a, you know, it's just like, no, I want something that's like very visually interesting and um maybe has you know some meaning behind yeah kind of like you know the youtube thing is just like there's some meaning behind the imagery and it's just not so just like here's the story here's the dialogue you know here's the picture of these people doing what they say they're going to do it's just like no i just want you know something a little bit different what did you see oh gosh i'm gonna get the title wrong um you were never really here oh the joaquin phoenix one Yes. right yeah is and, that good did um, you like it i really like it too it's yeah it's it's really good it, it, it's a thinker okay. and um it's actually based on a book by an author named jonathan jonathan ames who i actually enjoy his his books too they're they're not really like core that one actually was like kind of crimey yeah that's um, he's yeah. a hitman or something i've seen very little yeah. about it yeah, it's actually it's really good. Yeah, he's a he's like a hired hitman. Okay. And yeah, and, and yeah, and it's like one of those things too where it's like the the movie opens up and you're just not really sure what's going on. There's these flashes of images and you know, as the movie progresses, it's like they don't tell you 
you know, exactly what happened to this guy to make him the way he is. They do it in little flashes and eventually you just have to put the puzzle pieces together. Yeah, absolutely. I, so one of my, I'm going to say like comfort movies are, are these sort of eighties movies that are very world building. Mm-hmm. Uh, without so much exposition. So things like The Warriors or God, any any sort of like sci-fi action thriller Kurt Russell is in. So e- either of the Escape movies or Big Trouble in Little China, that sort of thing where it's a very strange world. And Mad Max Fury Road did this really well where they presented the world to you and had almost no exposition until like an hour and 45 minutes into it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they were like... You know, they talk to the old ladies and they're like, oh, I guess we just got to drive back across the desert the same way we came. All right, let's yeah. go. But but like in the costume design, there's mm-hmm. so much storytelling. And I think that's different probably than, than the movie you saw. But But it's that same sort of idea of you have to do some work to uh, make the story as lush as it was meant to be. Mm-hmm. Um, was was that movie like profoundly violent because the little bit I've seen about it made it look really really violent uh, see uh, just like you said like you know when you read Ritualistic Human Sacrifice it didn't really shock you and you don't know if it's because of the things that you watch if you're just like a little desensitized to it mm-hmm. um, I watched it I, I went and I personally went and find it very violent but there were people in the movie theater reacting like oh my god okay. <laughs> um uh and it's uh you know i don't know if you want me to I don't, i'm afraid to give any spoilers if you actually want to watch it or anything yeah no uh, that's i think i think your answer is adequate i think yeah, that is something i will, yeah, I will find like very his choice of weapons and there's a um, you know, a couple scenes when he uses that, it's, you know, it's, it's much like, it kind of reminds me of like, like you said, you like the, the eighties movies and I have like different categories of movies I really enjoy. And I actually like, like the grindhouse films. Sure. Like this, the I, 70s could, I could have guessed based on yeah. the press, <laughs> based on the press. Yeah. But yeah, those were just kind of like, you know, it was like that, that choice of weapon. It's like, yeah, you know, you can, you can do a movie where somebody comes out with a, a gun or a knife or you can like texas chainsaw massacre come out with a chainsaw mm-hmm. you know and it's just like yeah um the, that movie that i just watched was kind of like that too it's like well you could if you're a hitman you could easily just have a gun this guy did not <laughs> he yeah. was using a very unconventional uh method <laughs> to kill people sure. and it's just like yeah um i think that's maybe you know people think i don't know it's just like you just become so desensitized to watching certain films you're just like oh yeah i guess it's kind of violent but you know i've seen worse you know Mm -hmm. yeah uh do you think that that is in the coming apocalypse that that people like you and me are going to do better with the the horrors that will befall us when the oil wars start uh i would think so (laughs) because i kind of i think yeah, you know, like the misanthropic, cynical thing. So not to sound like a huge Debbie Downer, but in my mind, it's like, yeah, it's inevitable. 
Mm -hmm. It's going to happen. Like mentally, you just have to be prepared for it, you know, because there's when it happens, there's going to be those people standing around going, what, what is, why is this happening? I don't understand. It's like, this has been, (laughs) this has been ready to happen for a really long time. Like, yeah, I would think that uh, people like me and you might be a little bit more prepared for it. I I would love to watch that TV show where it's post-apocalypse and the only two types of people left or there's three types of people left. The people who got lucky, which are the protagonists in all of these shows and movies. Yeah. And then the like crazy libertarian Republican people who, who have been praying for this to happen. And then mm-hmm. nerds. Yeah. Who are like, well, I was hoping it'd be a zombie apocalypse, but eh, it, this, you know, yeah. I, I stored up everything and I got all these socks filled with wood screws and, you know, North Korea zombies. It's all the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> that somebody make that TV show because that that yeah. is an episodic show I would watch. Yeah. Because uh, the culture clash there would just be so great. Oh yeah, yeah. I think uh, yeah, that would be a really good one. Um, I, I yeah, I always like the the switching. I'm trying to think of what it was that I was watching, but it was like a yeah, it was like the apocalypse basically had happened, but then you just had all these like office workers or something. Mm. And it was just like, yeah, so it was these people who, not to say pampered, but like, yeah, had never really got their hands dirty, you know, just doing paperwork and typing away on computers and stuff. And yeah, then the apocalypse happens and it's like these people picking up, (laughs) you know, whatever they can in the office to use as a weapon to fend for themselves. And I always like that weird, you know, juxtaposition uh, thing. Yeah, there's a movie called Night of the Comet where... A comet strikes and it basically turns everyone into zombies except for people that were shielded from the radiation and the movie follows these two valley girls and oh, so the, yeah. the first place they go is to the mall yeah and they're like oh these people are weird let's go to the mall maybe there's something there uh that, that was an interesting one let's talk about uh grindhouse press uh okay uh give give an overview for anyone who doesn't know what that is Okay, Grindhouse Press, um, it's a small press. Uh, it was started by Anderson Prunty, and he uh, also ran another press called Autolotl. And Oh, that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, everybody always asks that. That's the first thing they say, how do you pronounce that? It's like Adolotl. It's like, no, it's Autolotl, you know. But if you look it up in the dictionary, there's really no accent anywhere, so you can kind of pronounce it however you want. Mm. <laughs> um but yeah, it, he was running both of those presses and, um, you know, obviously he has his own writing and it was just getting to be a lot. And he was trying to decide, you know, he was going to pull the plug on one of them. And I was just like, I cannot see Greyhouse Press go. So I took it over at the beginning of 2017. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's it, it's kind of like the, the throwback to the Grindhouse films. Um, yeah, as far as the things I look for and the things that we've published, we've published stuff that are kind of sci-fi-ish. Some things are kind of more extreme. Some of them are more pulpy. Um, uh, some of them are more like bizarre, dark fantasy, but with like, you know, like that dark element to it. Um, so it's doesn't really have like a super definition. We do like exploitation, but then we also do like things that will not have any graphic sex or violence in them, but just be like very, very strange and dark um and and yeah and pulpy things so um that's kind of the overview of it it's it's like uh you know it's 
it's a little, it's probably really a hard sell for people because, you know, somebody's like, I want horror. They go to a horror press and they know that every book that they buy from that press is going to be horror. This is almost like a, a feel if you enjoy things that are kind of like, you know, satirical or, yeah, you know, kind of funny in a, in a dark way or, you know, if you just want, yeah, like an extreme horror book or, you know, some exploitation, crying healthy type thing. It's like, it's all there, you know? Yeah, for sure. I, I'm scrolling down the catalog right now, and, and there is a lot of that where it's like, this looks like a Bizarro novel, and this looks straight up horror. This yeah. this looks sort of like your, your you know, the like alt-lit uh, survivor sort of book, and just, just looking at the covers. Yeah. Do you have, um, and I'm definitely not asking for myself, what is what is the, uh, oh, you're currently close to submissions. Do you have like a, yeah. a reading period or is it sort of a as needed sort of thing? Um, usually I, um, uh, I've been trying to j- open up every January for submissions, like the whole month of January. Mm. And then, um, yeah, I kind of usually read them as they come in um, uh, until they're all until I've been through everything and then yeah I kind of pick like my favorites uh and and um yeah try to keep it to a minimum but there's also uh any author that's on our press knows that if they happen to come up with something that they think that is good for Grindhouse that that we're kind of open to them throughout the year Mm. so it will be yeah you know because uh, because of that and, you know, not putting out a ton, sometimes when I get to the submissions, I may only accept one, sometimes two, or maybe sometimes all three, you know, like three for a year. Um, and depending on how many, like, you know, like in no- November of the pre- previous year, somebody's like, you know, hey, I wrote this whole thing. I think you might want to take a look at it. You know, I've already been published with you guys. You, you know, want to take a look at it again. So, or take a look at this one for next year. So it just kind of depends. It's kind of flows back and forth. Okay. That's something just indie presses. Uh, I feel like it's such a, such a strange world and it's hard for me to wrap my head around it. Yeah, it's, um, it's like different than your traditional, you know, publishing. And I think it, um, yeah, everybody has like their own set of rules. So it's like, you can go from one press to the next and be like submissions, the way you're supposed to submit the file, you know, what they're looking for, all that stuff is so weird. And you just don't know, like sometimes when your story is just like a little off, you know, the, the regular beaten path or something, you, it's like you never know it's like well yeah i've done that before where i've had something and i thought well that'd be perfect for this press and then i go read their submission guidelines it's like oh well i've done like three things that they say they don't want in the story so Mm -hmm. yeah uh it's it's frustrating i'm I'm like re-going through one of my novels now with the intention to start sending it out and it's it's so frustrating to to even look <laughs> like not even getting to the submission part it's just like just looking at these presses and it's like yeah i know that you've put out books that i like but like i don't know if this is 
close enough to that or far enough away from that and it's like oh it's a three dollar submission fee uh like that's not uh, a lot but it's not nothing yeah it's like yeah i don't and then then like too it's like when are things open like mm-hmm. that's uh that's the thing you know it's like you you can go and i've done this i mean even with ritualistic human sacrifice when i first uh wrote it i was just like I had a couple of presses in mind and I visited, well, three presses in mind and I went to all three of their pages and it's like, one of them is like, we don't want anything quiet, you know? And I was like, well, this is definitely opens up quiet and they were closed to submissions. Mm -hmm. And then I went to the next one and they're like, uh, we don't take anything unsolicited. It's, we only take recommendations from authors that we've already worked with. I was like, oh. Okay, why do you even have a submissions page? Yeah, it's like, oh, God, I need <laughs> to, know? like, make friends with all these people now. Yeah, and then it's like, uh, then, yeah, then the last one, it was just like they were just closed to submissions anyway. So it was just like, well, here I have this thing. And I'm, you know, generally kind of impatient and know what I'm doing. And I have a good editor and, you know, I know people who can do covers and stuff. So it's just like, ah, well, you know, uh, I know it's essentially just self-publishing, but I'm just going to put it out through Grindhouse Press because I could, uh, ritualistic human sacrifice, if I were actually trying to get it submitted somewhere, it probably just would have sat on my computer for a couple of years, Mm -hmm. um, just looking for a publisher that would, you know, uh, would even take a look at it or, you know, be interested in it at all. For sure. Uh, uh. I remember seeing a tweet not too long ago that was sort of in that vein of like calling somebody prolific is kind of a loaded term and might not always mean what it means. Like just mm-hmm. because someone's on a hot streak and they've had 14 stories published in the past three months doesn't necessarily mean that they're writing more than you or less than you. Oh yeah. No, I, you know, and I'm, and it is one of those things like I know people who write more than me and they just, they just haven't found anything you know, any place to, that'll accept it. So it's like, yeah, that person's yeah definitely more prolific than I am. They probably have, you know, 30 books ready to go. It's just like, they can't find it. And, you know, and other people, you know, just can just kind of write and go, you know, like a write and publish, write and publish, write and publish, uh, and, and just find, you know, have the, the best combo of story and press together. So yeah i i don't know man those people suck i don't <laughs> i don't like them uh, yeah also this is this is just another strange thing i feel like so book length is something i used to really agonize about and i don't know why but oh, i noticed yeah. I, what were you gonna say go ahead i was gonna say yeah i used to too yeah and um so the submission page of, of Grindhouse says ideal range is between 30 to 60. And I was looking at another press a couple days ago that said generally under 50. But when I was in college, I used to all the time Google, like, how many words is a novel? And I would always oh, yeah. I would always come up with, like, 80 to 90. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and when I used to Google that stuff, it would it was all over the place. Some people say 50. A thousand. Some people say sixty. Yeah. Some say eighty to ninety. It's just like no, you can't get. It's just like whoever's decided what their definition of a novel is that day and put it on a blog post is mm-hmm. what a novel is. And that's something for me. I, I 
at least at this point in my life, I like having a sort of end cap to, mm -hmm. to a project just because it helps me because I also don't plan things out very much or at all. It mm -hmm. helps me to sort of know where I'm at in the story then. So if I'm writing a flash piece and I'm 200 words in, like I know where I'm at, you yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, so, so knowing, okay, I'm 25,000 words into this and all of the presses, I might want to submit a piece like this to say 50,000 is the cap. Like, okay, great. I'm halfway through. Mm -hmm. Good. And that's almost one of the reasons why I love NaNoWriMo so much is like 50,000 word novel in a month. And, and I know a lot of people have opinions on whether or not that can be good or bad or whatever but it's so yeah. nice to just know like when i'm going to be done and maybe that's yeah. a holdover from college where it's like you know you have to write 350 words on the reading from last night mm -hmm. um with me it's um well yeah i, I used to think that yeah, everything had to be like at least fifty thousand words um and yeah, the, I know that like, um, you know, some people do like, like a deadline, like they like that pressure of being like, I have to get this many words by this date. For me, I just lock up. I freeze. Like I mm -hmm. just, my brain shuts down and I just panic. I'm just like, I can't do this. There's no way. It's just like too much pressure. Um, so I, yeah, for me, I don't like the deadlines or the, you know, like this has to be done in 30 days, um, thing. And it has to be a certain length. Um, and for me too, I, yeah, I used to really be like, well, it's not a book unless it's like 50,000 words, mm -hmm. but uh, I've just gotten to the point where it's, um, uh, I'm going to write this story. Don't know how long it's going to be. Uh, I'm going to let the characters tell the story and it'll end when it ends. And yeah, I have things that are, you know, uh, 20,000 words. I have 30, 40, 50, 60, you know, 65, I think is, or 67 is like my longest one. Mm. But I found that if I, uh, I don't want to say which book it is, but I found um, if I say this book is going to be X amount of words and then I push the story to be that, that the story kind of really suffers. For me, mm. I found that the story suffers because it is like this person's story isn't you know, X amount of words, it's less or it's more. And I think when you're, when I'm striving or it just, and it's just my personal belief, but I feel like when I'm striving for more words than what the story uh, is naturally, you know, um, coming to be, uh, that it ends up maybe being boring for me. Like it almost like, mm, it, mm -hmm. like just too much fodder, you know, just like fodder to fill this out. And it's just like, this is all unnecessary. Do we really need to know this? Yeah. And, um, and I think the same way when I'm trying to make something shorter and it's ending up being longer, cause then you end up cutting out essential things Yeah. You know, for, for me, you know, it's just like, well, you know, well then you got to take that whole thing out, but I really like that in there. And like, yeah, you know, so, uh, yeah, I, I'm just uh, very by the pants uh, as far as uh, word count and stuff like that. Cool. That's commendable. I find another yeah. thing is as a kid and through, God, through high school, I pretty much read just like straight up fantasy novels. 
Mm-hmm. And those are always so much longer. And I would buy like the the collections, uh, like the R.A. Salvatore uh, collections, where it's three novels in one, so it's a thousand page block. Oh yeah. And so that's something that might be instilled with me. I, I find that when I do write, it does tend to be on the higher end. Like my flash fictions tend to sometimes even go over what some lit mags will accept. Mm-hmm. They'll always be like under a thousand words, but they'll be pretty close sometimes. And yeah. and, and maybe that's just something that's ingrained in me. Like a, a book is not a book unless it's got some heft to it. You yeah. Know? And I think, um, you know, uh, life imitates art and like, yeah, especially like, you know, just, I think whatever you read and enjoy and that has become like your baseline when you go into writing, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like, well, I've read this story by this author and this story by this author and this story by this author and they're kind of similar or storylines or lengths or writing styles and stuff. And you're like, these are the things that I enjoy. So I would, I would hope that people are just writing the things that they would enjoy to read. So like, yeah, if you're used to reading like a hundred thousand word epic, you know, fantasy tales, I'm sure like when you go to write, it's going to be something similar to that, you know, cause like, this is what you've been reading. This is what you've been practicing for. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that's a good way to think about it. That's a good way of easing my mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, God, now that I'm all relaxed after that, I, like my mind has gone completely okay here's one thing in in modern literature what are you most excited about oh gosh like the, the coming out or more things by certain authors um or? you could get that specific or just like are there movements that you're seeing are people behaving in certain ways that foretell uh glory on the horizon hmm. i think for me maybe like yeah just like like you said just like um people not really putting a limitation on their content their links um being more free um and it's like if a happy writer is writing the things that they want like there's there's just no standard i think or I think the standard should kind of go away of like, well, you know, you, your book has to be 80,000 words and you have to submit it to an agent and an agent has to take it to, you know, a random house or, <laughs> you know, whatever major publisher there is. And then you have to get, you know, everybody would love, you know, a huge advance and you go on, you know, book tours or whatever. It's just like, I think, you know, just like the kind of the surge of the small press you know, it's to me, it's like this punk rock mentality of like, yeah, yeah you're not, you, you know, you have this idea of this very mainstream thing that you, you know, the, the major publishers want to do. So the book is sitting, you know, on a shelf at an airport bookstore before you get on the plane, because, you know, there's your average people going back and forth, just looking for something to read. To whereas like when with the small presses, it's like all of those limitations are kind of gone. You know, because it's like they're trying to feed like the mainstream audience. And I think like the small press is like, no, we want to do something different. We want to be punk rock. We want the covers to be edgier. We want, 
you know, the storyers to be different, the stories to be different and, you know, maybe like a little experimental and things that, you know, for me, it's like, yeah, you're uh, average person that would pick up a book and, and be like, wow, I'm just going to get this John Christian novel, you know, mm-hmm. before I get on the plane that, you know, it would be something they pick up and be like, I don't even understand. This is not, you know, mm-hmm. what is this? What am I reading? And it's just like, yeah, I think just like, yeah, I think I, I just really would love for small press to eventually just overthrow major publishers just like, you know, it's not these five powerhouses anymore controlling, you know, what uh, mainstream uh, media people or mainstream people are reading as far as uh, things that they pick up at the bookstore. But I just want, yeah, the small presses to come in like, yeah, that paint by numbers story, that standard length, all of that stuff, it goes, you know, we're giving the authors more control. Um, yeah, we're not coming back and being like, you know, because I certainly don't. I either accept the story um, how it is, or I don't accept it. You know, because it's you know I, I always find it weird when people are like, "Well, you know, my uh, publisher came back and they said yeah, there's too much of this in it, and there's not enough of that." Mm, you know, mm-hmm. or we want you to change the you know this plot, or you know change these characters, or something like that. And yeah. it's just like, well, that's not the original book that that author wrote. You know, it's like, that's not, that's not them. That's not what they created. That's, that's, you know, completely butchered to accommodate a certain type of person. And I don't want, you know, for us, for, for Grindhouse, I don't want to accommodate a certain type of person. I want a certain type of person that's looking for something different to find us, you know, like that type of I know I'm going on a tangent. It's like a really long thing. No, I like but yeah, it. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I want, I, I'm hoping that just like, yeah, more small presses, more authors, you know, get to kind of control their voice that gets out into the world. Uh, I would hope that, that that keeps growing. I think it will. Uh, yeah. And I think, I feel like this is a common thread with the world right now is that we're getting to be this very sort of populist proletariat sort of thing where we're the the big popular is no longer satisfactory so we have to sort of filter down to what what else is is there and I feel like the small press will will succeed and overthrow the big powerhouse. One because board writers or board readers will find the the new and exciting. Yeah. Coupled with uh, the people who generally buy books, your your suburban moms with their book clubs and and your people at airports are just getting so bored with that, and there's such a wealth of other entertainment out there with mm-hmm. you know you can just watch hulu on your phone like i'd rather watch bob's burgers for the umpteenth time on a plane than you know read the next new john grisham novel if i forget oh, a book yeah. you know so so I, I almost think, feel like they'll just crumble under their own weight yeah and i think like i mean i'm a little bit older so like when i was a teenager there there was no internet you know mm-hmm. and i was just and i came from a very very small town like there wasn't even like 800 people in this town like the nearest 
place to like shop for books was like 45 minutes away. Wow. And I had a couple, uh, you know, close friends and we were just starved for entertainment, you know, um, that was different, you know, that was not in, you know, and it was like a weird, uh, bizarre trifecta between us. My one friend was obsessed with movies. My other friend was obsessed with music and I was obsessed with books. So it was like, yeah, we would eventually go to the mall and like, yeah, just looking for these things that nobody's heard, you know, nobody has seen, nobody has read type thing. And it was, I mean, it was, it was work, you know, I would read about one book and I would have to go to that store and they wouldn't have it and I would have to order it. And then I would wait two weeks for them to call me and then say that the book had come in and then I'd have to go up and get it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, it's like now with the internet, it's like, it's there. It's literally, you get on a computer and you say, you know, uh, what's the weirdest, you know, book out there or, you know, you just surreal books or unusual horror or whatever it is Mm -hmm. and you will find it and you will not only just find it, you will find a slew of it. You know, it's just like, it's, it's, it's so easy now to, you know, if you are really looking for something different, you will find it. You know, it's, you're just a, a click away and it's just like, that's what I hope, like, yeah, with the small press, it's just like people just like, you know, I just, in my head, I have this image of somebody watching television, you know, all the regular mainstream stuff. And they're just like, ugh, like, this is all awful. And just like, they would just turn to the computer and be like, you know, what, what weird and unusual movies are there out there? And just fall into this plethora of things that they've never even heard of before, you know, or same with books you know, and, and music too. It's like, oh, this radio station, all they play is the same thing. All the radio stations playing the same song. You know, it's just like, well, you know, there's like things like Spotify or whatever mm-hmm. where you can just fall down a rabbit hole of, you know, <laughs> the weirdest things and from countries that you would have never even imagined, you know? Um, but like, yeah, that's my hope is that, yeah, the internet will kind of bring that to the, those people and maybe those people will read or watch or, you know, listen to those things. And then they turn to their friend and they say, oh my God, like I just experienced this thing. You have to check it out too, you know? And I, uh, yeah, just like, it just like a snowball effect. Yeah. I mean, that's how I got all of my friends to watch Racerhead. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah. And, uh, Again, man, talking about writing with people is just the greatest, <laughs> greatest uh, thing. Like I, I, I come to this feeling every episode at, at about how long we've been talking where it's just like, oh God, yes. And all I want to do is sit in silence and just like feel good. Yeah. But that's not yeah. good audio also. Yeah. Just, just dead <laughs> yeah. air. Like I need, I need a, a sounder or something just that I, I i do the same thing like i'll go to conventions and you just spend like three days just non-stop like talking to people about writing or movies or whatever it is you know and then i just come back and i just feel completely like kind of zen and pumped up at the same time and i'm just ready to sit down with my computer and just like write a book like almost every even in the middle of the convention i've been at a convention and talking to somebody one time and they 
asked me what I was working on. I was like, well, I was thinking about doing this thing and da, da, da. And they, had, they actually had some feedback, you know, mm-hmm. and I was just like, I just want to go back to my hotel room right now and start writing this story. Yeah. <laughs> you know? There is a flash piece I've written that has that origin story where I was talking to one of my work friends about MFA programs and he's like, oh yeah, no, I, there's this story written by one of my old classmates who like that's for this specific school we're talking about, like that's probably something like what they have. So I read it and because uh, I am the way that I am, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I can do better than that. So I just like stepped away for 15 minutes, wrote something on my phone and texted it to him. And like, it's such a beautiful feeling that like Mm -hmm. you can't get otherwise. Like, I I feel like realtors don't do that. You know, it's like, oh man, I'm at the convention. I want to go sell a house right now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like what do you yeah. do you go across people on the street do you want to buy a house do you want to buy a house somebody somebody who wants to buy a house come find me and we're gonna go buy a house right now it's like sometimes i think uh writers just like are some kind of weird like drug addicts you know like they like i don't know yeah it's just like i gotta get my fix right now <laughs> yeah i mean i definitely get into states like that when i'm writing if i'm if i'm real into what i'm writing i'll do this like rocking back and forth or mm-hmm. side to side sort of thing like i'm on a boat and just like just almost not even know what's coming out of my fingers onto the gear. yeah and it's great it's such a great feeling to make things like that i am going to read from hold from release till the end of the world um it's a surreal look at a crazy city called daxton um and with a uh, older pro- protagonist is a female um, of 40 years old. I'm going to read uh, chapter six. The grocery store parking lot was a nightmare of honking horns and pedestrians who either looked lost or angry as they pushed their bounty to their cars or in some cases toward the bus stop 10 feet from the door. The horde of people was mainly comprised of angry tricentarians dressed like teenagers from 15 fashion seasons past or quadrenarians rode so hard on prescription pill abuse, alcoholism, and sheer depression, they looked either homeless or 30 years older than what they actually were. I maneuvered my car around a homeless man standing beside an empty parking spot. He held a cardboard sign with, will insert things in my anus for food, printed in very straight and neat script, which indicated any money given to him might actually be used for something useful and he wasn't experiencing withdrawals from whatever drug of choice most people in Daxton chose to numb themselves with. I avoided making eye contact with the man with the sign as I exited my car and made my way quickly and cautiously across the parking lot. I dodged out of the path of a few cars with raging drivers who honked at me and screamed for me to get out of the fucking way. But escaping the rampaging paths of the pedestrians with carts was always more difficult. One woman who looked like she lifted herself off a barroom floor before coming to the store braced the handle of her cart, glared at me, and came rushing at me. I jumped to the right, and she corrected her cart to keep me in target. I dove to the left, fell, and did a half somersault before riding myself. She missed me and plowed the cart full force into the back of someone's car. Her head snapped in my direction, and she spat 
crazy bitch. Didn't you see me? Get the fuck out of the way. Sorry, I said, and I took off in a half jog towards the store. A woman who looked like a rabid soccer mom was next. Her bobbed and stacked hair were accentuated with multiple unnatural chunky streaks, each streak a different shade of natural hair color, none of which were her own. She braced the handle of her shopping cart like a linebacker and came barreling at me. I rolled across the hood of someone's car at the last second to avoid being hospitalized while the woman screamed, what the fuck is the matter with you? I managed to make it to the door without being trampled by one of the many angry shoppers as they made their way to their vehicles. I was almost hit by a car as I played a Frogger-like game at the last stretch of asphalt separating the parking lot from the semi-safety of the store sidewalk. As I reached the door, a man's voice rose out of the chaos. Miss, miss, miss. At first I ignored him. I couldn't imagine someone using the endearing term to refer to me. Miss is what one would call a pretty and young girl, not an overweight 40-year-old woman. But the man's insistence increased as I was just about to cross over to Threshold and into the store. Miss, miss, miss. I turned and spotted a rail-thin man approaching from the direction of the bus stop. He wore a baseball cap, an oversized baseball jersey, and satiny basketball shorts. The sensors for the door I was standing in front of triggered and opened the glass doors and I managed to move out of the way just as another shopper hurled out of the store with their cart and screamed obscenities at me. The man stopped five feet from me and said, Miss, do you happen to have a cigarette? I'm sorry, I said. I don't smoke. His face twisted into fury. Well, you're a fucking bitch. Okay, I said and entered the store. The entryway to the store where the shopping carts were normally stored was half empty except for a handful of ransacked racks that normally house some local free papers, three kitty vending machines someone had shattered the glass to and emptied, and a few broken carts. I picked the cart with the most amount of wheels, which totaled three since the front right one was missing, and struggled with it as I entered the store. The din of the parking lot could not compare to the cacophony of noise inside the store. The first thing I was confronted with were the checkout lanes, which was a mob of cashiers and customers bitching at each other, mingled with the sounds of several wailing children. I tried to make quick work of passing the area, but the absence of the fourth wheel on my cart made moving quickly impossible. I was forced to pull back on the handle on the left side to keep the front end of the cart from dragging on the floor. At the end of the row of checkout lanes, a man wearing either a police uniform or a security uniform resembling a local police officer's uniform was beating an elderly woman relentlessly with a nightstick while she lay on the floor surrounded by broken and smashed produce, shielding herself with her arm. I passed the beating and barreled into the produce section. I threw some overpriced and wilted lettuce into the cart along with some slightly moldy tomatoes. I gave up on the produce section once a man decided to repeatedly ram his cart into mine and call me a cunt because my cart happened to be sitting in the exact spot he wanted to stand so he could stare at carrots. Next was the bread. Two men were fist fighting in the bread aisle. There was no bread on the shelves, but several loaves were on the floor, smashed and trampled and flecked with blood as the two men relentlessly pounded each other's faces. The fate of the bread was becoming more compromised by the handful of other shoppers tromping down the aisle and picking through the wreckage. I became one of those people and snagged up a loaf of unmarred bread without inspecting it and later found out it was stale and moldy potato bread. I emerged from the aisle and found myself in the meat and deli section. There was a line of people shouting at the deli employees. 
and I spotted a person clad in black with a black umbrella, which hid their face, standing by the greenish cuts of beef, motionless. I pushed and pulled on my cart in their direction. I grabbed handfuls of random half-spoiled meat and tossed them into the cart, trying to get a look at the figure's face. I was certain it was the same person living in the shed, even though I hadn't gotten a look at their face then. But the figure managed to turn and disappear into the crowd, keeping their face hidden from me the whole time. Someone ran my cart with their own, and I knew it was time for me to move on. We needed toilet paper, but I wasn't able to find it since the store had taken to rearranging the location where everything was stocked on a weekly basis. I did happen to find some napkins, which would have to do, after I abandoned my cart for a few brief seconds and squeezed by a group of three shoppers who had decided to stop in the middle of the aisle, blocking any other shopper from passing, to have a conversation. They'd become engrossed in their own conversation and grown oblivious to their surroundings. I shouted, excuse me, five times before sidling by them. I was certain I would be able to pass them without any incident because they seemed unaware of me. But one of the people from the group glared at me on the return pass while I held the napkins above my head and tried not to disturb them. I grabbed a handful of random canned goods from the shelves I passed, struggling with the integrity of my cart and fending off other aggressive shoppers and made my way toward the end of the store. A small child sat on top of a shelf and threw cans of tuna at the shoppers, laughing hysterically if he happened to hit one in the head. He didn't manage to hit me, but he did deposit several cans in my cart. I passed a large man choking a woman as she hit him in the head with a package of diapers and an infant wailed wildly in an abandoned cart. Once I made it to the end of the store, I knew I was at the worst part before the checkout lanes, the pharmacy. A man was shouting at someone cowering behind the counter in the pharmacy pickup area while waving around a lit cigarette. Someone with a backpack and a ski mask hopped the counter and started shoving random bottoms of pills into their bag. The other pharmacy technicians pelted the masked person with random bottles and objects within their reach. Shoppers in the raided aisles of the over-the-counter medicines and aids and bandages shouted random questions at the workers in the pharmacy. A woman shouted, I have herpes. Will calamine make my badge stop itching? An old man shouted, can I swallow suppositories? I'm not an ass pirate, and I'm not sticking anything in my ass. Another person, I have a rash. Another, my kid has a fever of 107. The masked man raiding the pharmacy pulled a firearm from the band of his pants and waved it around. The technicians all hit the floor. The shoppers continued their endless questioning as I hurriedly passed the havoc. What's causing this rash? Where's the lube? My pussy is really dry. Oh God, I just shit myself. I made it to the checkout lanes before I heard the gunshots and screams. I held onto the cart handle and put my head down, anticipating what would happen next. Half of the people in the store rushed toward the doors in a panic, knocking over the display cases for energy drinks and trampling small children and the elderly in the process. Most of the shoppers online to check out abandoned their carts and joined the mob. Amateurs, I muttered to myself. A group of people milling about on the observation deck above the front doors cheered. A woman in an evening gown, draped in expensive furs, raised her champagne glass and laughed loudly as she watched the mass of people below her. A man in a tuxedo beside her raised a paper ticket and was shouting he had the correct timestamp as a few other men around him crumbled their tickets and puffed on their cigars. A servant wearing a tux with tails approached a luxurious couple with a covered silver platter. He lifted the lid and exhibited banded stacks of cash and displayed the platter to the ticket-holding man with a flourish. The woman picked up 
one of the stacks of cash and rubbed it against her face with an expression of pure ecstasy. And I wasn't able to hear her over the den, but I imagined she was moaning as she did so. When the dust had cleared and the people who had rushed the doors were gone, the employees hidden under the registers slowly lifted their heads, checking to make sure it was all clear. They didn't bother to make sure the shooter was gone. The shooter most definitely had disappeared into the mob anyway. The employees were only checking to make sure the stampede was over. I wasn't the only person who'd taken their chance and stayed. One dirty and disheveled woman who had continued to haggle with the cashier about the price of a can of corn as if she were at a flea market instead of a grocery store. The dirty woman berated the cashier. I don't care if it scans for 75 cents. I'm only paying 50 cents for that. It has a small tear in the label. The female cashier who appeared exhausted and wore smudge blue eyeliner and had slicked back her hair into a high ponytail emerged from under the cash register. Ma'am, you can't barter for your groceries. These prices are ridiculous. I demand to see the manager. You have demanded to see the manager for after every item I've scanned up to this point because you don't want to pay the sticker price. And I will give you the same answer I gave you when I scanned the previous, the cashier turned to look at her screen, 37 items. Our manager quit over a week ago. If you have an issue, you need to call our corporate headquarters. Fine. The cashier placed the can of corn in the accumulating bags and grabbed the next item, which appeared to be the second to the last item in the woman's order. She scanned the item and the dirty woman went into another tirade of refusing to pay the price the computer had displayed and demanding to see the manager. I left my cart and began clearing the carts out of one lane with a waiting cashier. When the other woman was told her total, she began to haggle that price also. And then they moved on to her 20 expired coupons. Once I had all but one cart out of the way, I swept the remaining items of someone's abandoned purchase into the cart with my arm before roughly shoving the cart out of the lane. The employee stationed there was a pimple-faced kid, or maybe he was covered in meth sores. It was hard to tell anymore. He watched me with a scowl as I fought to push my three-wheeled cart through the rubble. I unloaded my cart onto the conveyor and told the cashier to start a new sale as multiple sirens grew louder outside. The customer in the other lane asked if she could write a check, and the group of people on the observation deck broke into a fit of hysterics. So there you have it. You won't have to wait three months for the next one, I promise. In the next episode, I'll be talking to Dean Swinford. You can find more about C.V. Hunt at her website, authorcvhunt.com, or on Twitter, at C.V. Hunt. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at NoisemakerJoe. The website is NoisemakerJoe.com slash WTR. And of course, on Patreon.com slash WTR. Until next time, write more and write better. <laughs>